It's August 5th, 1926, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The magician and entertainer Harry Houdini was famous for many stunts, but it was on this day that he performed one that many regard as his greatest, staying in an underwater coffin for 91 minutes before emerging triumphantly and very much alive. But only after he'd pretty much died. Like his pulse rate had (laughs) soared and he was seeing yellow lights, which meant really that his brain was dangerously deprived of oxygen. He was Mm. arguably within minutes of death. I know that he's like the best magician of all time and all that. But I read that and I just think, oh, that's not really a trick, is it? That that's dangerous no, and you could have yeah. died. So I'm not it's, sure I really think, oh, well done you, what a master conjurer. I just think <laughs> that was just a really stupid thing to do. And he invented that kind of thing, you know, in the days mm. when a lot of magicians were doing. I mean, Houdini himself started out as a traditional kind of card magician, which apparently he wasn't especially good at. And it was only, you know, in an attempt to differentiate himself that he started out doing escapes from handcuffs. And then eventually he became so notorious for doing that and other people started imitating him that he got onto these more extreme kind of endurance stunts that we would recognise, you know, these days. It's quite commonplace. Like, you know, David Blaine obviously springs to mind. But Houdini started all that off. And also Darren Brown has obviously very clearly been influenced by Houdini in the mm. sense of all of this stuff you read about psychics or quack science, I'm going to prove to you why that's actually a magic trick, because that's the other prong to what Houdini was doing here. The reason he was in this coffin in a swimming pool at the Shelton Hotel in New York was to disprove a spiritualist who was claiming that they had special powers, and he was saying, no, I can do that, I can beat what you can do, and it's nothing to do with God. Yeah, he was directly responding to a dare by this magician called Rahman Bey, who pretty much had been trying to pass off the stuff that he did as quasi-spiritual. And Houdini had said, no, 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 nonsense, none of that. Anything you can do, I can definitely do and better. And so Rahman Bain had done this this stunt where he got in a metal box, which was submerged into a swimming pool in another hotel in New York, the Dalton Hotel. <laughs> just, and he'd stayed if you there. wanted to go for a swim in 1926 <laughs> in New York City, <laughs> you, you had to come just... up with a crazy stunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just thinking about everyone else who just wanted to do some lengths. Like, you know, you can move for magicians and press photographers. True. And Houdini really devoted a lot of his professional life to trying to debunk the idea of paranormal powers of mediums, psychics, etc. And if you think about how magicians were portrayed, if you can think of like, you know, stuff set in Victorian times, it's always, you know, the great Mandini or the great blah, blah, blah. And magicians would dress up as shakes or wizards mm. or sometimes like you know kind of like generic like ethnic caricatures and it was mm. all based around this idea of trying to win the audience over to the idea that you had supernatural powers and Houdini was one of the first people to say no this is all about human ingenuity human endurance he even wrote you know pamphlets and books in his lifetime explaining how he did a lot of his stunts fascinatingly though his efforts to debunk the whole business of the connection between the spiritual and illusion almost backfired on him because one of the people who he became quite friendly with for a period and then massively fell out with was Arthur Conan Doyle, writer of Sherlock Holmes um, and so on. Um, And uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was this big spiritualist and he believed that actually uh, Houdini was in touch with you know, the the divine and was doing these things to almost distract from the reality of the connection between everyday magic and uh, the supernatural. That would be such a weird double bluff, wouldn't it? 
left. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it led to their fallout. Conan Doyle mounted what he said was a seance for Houdini's benefit to get him in touch with his late mother. And this medium claimed to be doing this thing called automatic writing, where you can't help but be moved mm. by the spirits and uh, wrote down all of these messages to Houdini. And in the moment, Conan Doyle w- was like, oh, look, he's massively uh, affected by this and he's being spoken to by his mother. And afterwards, Houdini walked away and said, actually, that was all nonsense. For one thing, my mother couldn't really speak very much English, so she definitely couldn't have come up with like pages and pages of perfect prose. But just because he was a professional sceptic and just because he'd written books like Miracle Mongers and Their Methods, that doesn't mean that he didn't want to believe that it was possible. So after he died, I know we're jumping ahead a bit here, but after he died, his wife, Bess, who was very loyal to him and had been his magician's assistant and their romance is basically the subject of the 1953 film Houdini, she kept trying to do an annual seance with him on Halloween and they had a special code with each other to see, like he desperately wanted it to be true that he Mm. could communicate Mm. with her from the dead. And to be honest, Bess had a pretty down-to-earth attitude towards it as well. She she did this seance for 10 years after he died, and then she stopped. And she later said, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to wait that long to get the very specific message that they'd agreed upon. The code was Rosabelle, answer, tell, pray, answer, look, tell, answer, tell. I mean, to be fair, if you're a ghost <laughs> and it's been a while... You'd be allowed to get a few <laughs> words wrong in that, wouldn't you? Before you'd be like, no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> just Rosabelle would be enough if no one knew that that was the code word, surely. Uh, just to go on to some of the other like weird stunts that he did. So he started out with these simple handcuff escapes. Then he graduated to more extreme feats of being sealed in a filled up oversized milk can filled with water not with milk Uh, and then that was imitated a lot as well so then he moved on to the chinese water torture cell which is one you've probably seen the you know the photos of Mm. where he's sort of upside down in a cage uh, mostly in cages of water (laughs) i feel sorry for him when he's like at someone's wedding and they're like go on give us a trick then do you know what i mean because he couldn't do cards could he because he was houdini you'd have to be like Ah, okay, yeah. Have you got a fishbowl? Right. (laughs) Do you have a straitjacket? Do you have three hours, please? Dunk me in it. (laughs) The weirdest one he did was in 1911. He was shackled inside the carcass of a washed-up creature described variously as a whale or a giant turtle. He did escape in 15 minutes, but he was almost overpowered by the smell of the embalming fluids. Mm. So, briefly, Aaron, do you know how he did actually do this? I mean, I get that he basically held his breath, but, like... How did he survive 91 minutes in a coffin in a swimming pool? So according to my research, the average person would experience pretty serious side effects, specifically brain injury, uh, (laughs) and then soon after death, if deprived for oxygen for about five or six minutes. So this wasn't him just going underwater and holding his breath. And so I think that his trick was apparently lots of shallow breathing. He did a bunch of uh, pre-experiments where he was staying down there for increasing amounts of time. And I think basically what he was doing was trying to breathe as shallowly as possible. This iron casket, unbeknownst to observers, was fitted with an emergency button that he could press if he felt like he was about to die, and also with a phone line, which seems pretty advanced for the time period, Mm. for his assistant to check in on him every few minutes. But apparently he got quite irate during the rehearsals because obviously he then had to take a big breath in order to respond to the phone call mm. so he did try and minimise the amount of conversation <laughs> that was going on in this tiny scene. Hello, Houdini speaking. <laughs> you again, just stop calling. 
But he did die less than three months later. It was of appendicitis, wasn't it? You have to ask whether this stunt... And then this, he repeated the stunt, I think, like four days later. You have to ask whether this stunt contributed to that. There's all kinds of fascinating theories about what killed him. My favourite, although it's grim, is that a man called Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead went to visit him backstage at McGill University. He was a student... And he asked him, as Houdini reclined on a couch, whether it was true that he could resist hard punches to his abdomen. Houdini said, oh, yes, that is true. I, yes, I've developed a system to do that. But before he could get up to show him, he turned around and punched him five times repeatedly hard in the stomach, which mm. might have in itself been enough to either kill him, which is unlikely, or more likely trigger a sequences of events that led to appendicitis or cover up an underlying appendicitis that he would have noticed otherwise. And that's what did for him. Yeah. One of the weird, interesting extra connections to that story of his death is that some people think that Whitehead was put up to it by a bunch of spiritualists. And apparently spiritualists had actually threatened Houdini with at least being beaten up, if not killed. Yeah, because he was exposing them as charlatans. Right. I mean, that doesn't seem that far-fetched, does it? Although it was America in the 1920s. So if you really wanted to kill Houdini... Like, if you were part of an organised crime gang of charlatan psychics, you'd just shoot them there. (laughs) (laughs) But would he catch the bullet between his teeth? (laughs) (laughs) Let's send the guy pretending to be a student to mock punch him in the stomach as a question in an academic... (laughs) Just shoot him in the head. Well, he certainly can't put his feet in concrete and drop him into the water. That's not going to do for him. (laughs) Tomorrow. We got it. Okay, that's going to kill everything. Just spare the dog, spare the horse. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.